0: Hello, Julian. Hi, Mike. Uh, what are we going to talk about tonight? Death. Oh, dear. Well, and horses. Yeah, and a bit of physiotherapy. Okay, and university, presumably? Yeah. Great. Well, let's get Emily Woodbridge on and start chatting. Okay, let's get her in.
1: Hi, I'm Mike
0: Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Hi. Hello, Emily. Hi. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Brilliant stuff. Emily, I couldn't help noticing on on the little picture that that um, shows up before you put your video on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's you standing next to a horse. Yes. So, now, is this is this a horse? I don't want to sort of step in at the middle, as it were, but is this the horse that had uh, an, an injury that then prompted you to become a physio?
2: She is a very big kind of reasoning as to why. I'm the physio I am today. Mm-hmm. I actually got her about two months before I started my course, but she really? really was a very big driving kind of factor of why I'm doing physio. So she's not kind of the catalyst, but she was very influential to my studies. What's her name? Her name is Maddie, or her racing name was Madame Ascension. So she was a flat racer, thoroughbred, chestnut mare. So anyone who knows horses will know I was probably quite insane for buying her. (laughs) And she was just one of a kind of a horse. Sadly, she isn't with me anymore. She died two years in September. Right. So but she was very, very poorly. She had bilateral hock arthritis, bilateral locking stifles... She had a tilted and uh, like late fracture of her pelvis from her racing days. She had like five places kissing spines and like this horse, she was quite broken and they hadn't even looked at the front end. (laughs) Um, And, you know, she's one of the big reasons why I quite not enjoy palliative kind of physiotherapy, but... I'm very much empathetic to people who are going through kind of palliative kind of care. The physio I was able to provide her did actually prolong her life and make her more comfortable until I kind of was like enough's enough now because she was never going to become right. She was always going to be lame in a field. And horses unfortunately aren't cheap and I couldn't afford to have a horse that was going to need consistent care. I'm eating three meals a day, constant medication. She would constantly lose weight. I couldn't afford that. It was kind of a hard emotionally for me. And she just wasn't happy. So I kind of was like, I'm calling it a day because to me, it wasn't fair.
0: And and that's that's not a bad thing, actually. I think that's a good choice. um, We're often compared, people compare, Uh, veterinary uh, practitioners of any sort, whether it's surgeons, nurses, medics, physiotherapists, we're compared with the human side of things, aren't we? And um, the human edict is to keep life going at all costs, at all states and at all levels of of health and ill health. Uh, With us, we recognise that there are some levels of health that aren't acceptable. And if we can't afford that, money has to come into it. We can't afford it. The reality is we can't let an animal suffer.
2: You know, I I say it all the time when I talk to my own kind of clients about this kind of decision. My opinion is is an unpopular one. I don't believe in extending an animal's life if the quality of life is deteriorating for my own personal gain. To me, ethically, that is wrong. And I think we have such a privilege to be able to, kind of end their life at a point where they won't suffer a long time Um, for example in maddie's case i chose to opt for euthanasia before winter so in summer when she was moving before the arthritis started she had a nice amount of weight on her she she was happy because what i didn't want is for her stifles to lock in the mud her to fall over and her have to go out in the cold and the wet she looked lovely and her coat would change a lovely colour so she'd go from bright orange to like a burnt copper and she was this lovely bright carrot ginger she looked beautiful and you know my boyfriend said something to me he he was very helpful to me throughout the whole process And he said you know she has lived such a nice life and you've been able to give her a nice life, and just remember—you should have to remember her, mm. where she was good. And you know, I was very kind of torn up whether this was the right decision. And she did have a nice, good couple of last month She had haylage, yeah. she had carrots every day. She was loving life. <laughs> so
0: sure. we always say, you know, I hope they had a good life, but yeah, I think I think a, an equal comment should be, like, I hope they had a good death.
2: Exactly, and you know death can be very peaceful and it can be quite elegant in a way especially when horses can go they're such elegant animals and they're such big presences to lose don't get me wrong a dog is awful I've lost a dog it's heart-shattering you know I don't have children I'm 22 nowhere near the age sure. of having children but they're part of our families And she was like my child, and it was losing a very big presence in my life, but she just went so beautifully.
1: You said that Maddie was a big influence, and that comes across. Obviously, you've gone through through quite a lot with her. Um, How did you first meet her? Oh,
2: God. (laughs) I've never been horsey. My family have never been horsey. We've always owned kind of dogs and cats. And I had this friend who owned and trained horses, and I would often go with her to kind of kind of because the physiotherapy course where I where I was applying do both canine and equine. And to gain a BSc in physiotherapy for animals, you have to qualify both canine and equine. So I had to gain these skills. So I'd go around with her all the time and we went to pick up this horse and she'd let me ride her. So I actually had no. Want to buy one of my own because I was riding one for free. I didn't have to pay delivery. I didn't have to pay the feed. I just, you know, had to buy my friend a meal every now and again. Worked for me. <laughs> really? So we, what we turn up at this farm and this lady, she was pregnant with twins and she was having a really tough pregnancy, and she had about seven horses and she was like in over her head and she was just trying to get rid of them to good homes. And Maddie popped her head over the fence and whinnied at me. And Mm -hmm. you know how horses kind of lift their lip as if they're laughing? She did that at me. And it was just kind of like the world stopped. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I need that horse. So I bought her in the car ride home with my friend, off my friend, without even riding her. (laughs) Gosh. Don't recommend. (laughs) Not recommend. So I didn't even watch her move. And again, do not recommend doing that. But I was very inexperienced horse kind of owner. She was my first horse, but I had her at my friend's and then I moved to several yards where I had people I trusted that could help me kind of bring her along. And I don't regret it. And, you know, I think if you've got the right kind of help and the right kind of mentors, why not? As long as it's safe.
1: That's a lovely story. I was, I was going to say, did you talk to her? And I was then going to follow. I was then going to follow that up with the question, and what did she say back? But you've already answered that one. (laughs) She, she opened the conversation, by
0: all accounts. Yes,
2: I know. (laughs) Sounds
0: really sweet. But you have more horses now.
2: No, (laughs) I don't, because she was kind of like the end was quite dramatic, and it was quite. Heartache filled. <laughs> no, I don't have another horse. And plus with everything with lockdown, horse prices just rocketed. <laughs> and I have dogs. Love dogs. Will always have some sort of animal, but no, I don't have a horse at the moment.
0: Right. But you still read this uh, ride this friend's horse?
2: No, I don't at the moment because I'm actually <laughs> I know I completely cut myself off from horses at the moment. Um do you know? I I
0: think that's sensible. I, anyone who's, who's heard me on this podcast before will know that horses and I have a bad history. Um, uh, one fractured skull, subdural hemorrhage, and uh, sixteen stitches to my legs. Various other yes. injuries. Horses are dangerous.
1: I mean, you, you've you've told us a lot about Maddie there, and I, I sort of want to get I want to get into things like um, whether you consider her condition was triggered by. The horse racing industry and early training or too hard to early training we can touch on that perhaps
2: yeah you know I have grown up with my dad has a big horse racing fan he's owned race horses he's never ridden them he's never trained them he's owned them so I've been in the winner's circle I've always been quite immersed in kind of the racing and the gambling side of horse racing mm-hmm. so I have a lot where I have a lot of respect for horse racing is the athleticism the athleticism of the jockeys and these horses is fantastic you see like and everyone you know it's the taboo subject of the grand national I think you look at these horses as as pure athletic machines and they are fantastic. The muscle and the strength that goes into these sorts of jumps and the sort of, you know, the heart of gold and the bravery of these jockeys. is fantastic. I personally could never do this. However, when you come down to the training from an anatomical point of view, yes, I do think they are started too early. However, I see why they are started early because to get a good racing record, you have to do a lot of races and they've got to win and they've got to lose them. And the older they get, it's like with anything, with age, the muscles start to age, the, you know, the fiber velocity starts to reduce, the metabolism of these muscles and the, you know, the tensile strength that they can produce ultimately decreases. That's what happens with age. Um, you know, Don't and- we know it, Mike? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was Can we change the subject here? I'm, I'm,
0: yeah. i Yeah. I did a 15 mile walk of the Brecon beakers at the weekend. I'm still feeling it now. Yeah, particularly particularly
1: over you know when you get really elderly, like 40 years old or something. Oh, yeah. Not old. <laughs> I think. Carry on, Emily. We so rudely interrupted you. <laughs>
2: no, like I do think that like. As physiotherapists, we talk about skeletal maturity and when bones fully ossify, and it is a very well-known fact. And I'm sure if any physios are listening to this, they are kind of screaming at me, saying, "The spine ossifies at six years old. So when you put a rider on the horse at two, their spine hasn't fully matured, which is why you have such a high prevalence of kissing spines and all these orthopedic conditions in racehorses now." Don't quote me to any research because I can't give you that. It's just from my own experience. I've seen so many racehorses with kissing spines. You know, one of my big mentors said, if you X-ray any horse, any X-ray horse's spine, you'll find some point that's kissing, you know. And you've got to think logically, putting the weight of a person, yes, it's a jockey and yes, it's reduced weight. It's still going to do something to the biomechanical stresses of the spine. So therefore, it, of course, it has its downsides, but because it's such a big part in kind of the equestrian kind of name, as soon as you think of horses, you think of horse racing, if you're like a complete layman, you don't think of the beautiful show jumpers or the endurance riders or the dressage. You think of the races that is on every Saturday on Bet Fred or bet three six Five That's what you think of, and you know. I don't agree with them from a physio standpoint being raced at two and one for some for some ages but I don't I think the racing industry has come quite far in comparison to where it has been in kind of training methods and kind of understanding the biology and the anatomy of the animal. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah yeah it has indeed.
1: So which came first the physiotherapy or the animal? The animals in the
2: horse or animals in general. Well, why veterinary physiotherapy? Well, yeah, why, not, why not humans?
1: I've, I've got a sore
0: elbow. Yeah,
2: my and knees
1: have been aching. See a
0: physiotherapist. Why, <laughs> my,
1: my knees are really aching. I've been walking out and I'm, oh, yeah, t- tennis
0: elbow, tennis elbow, mate, it's awful. And, and if you'd been a human physiotherapist, there'd be one more human physiotherapist, to make it more likely to get seen. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Why veterinary? Why veterinary?
2: there is a very good reason to why I'm doing physio. So ever since I can talk, I could talk. I wanted to be a vet. That's all I ever wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Got GCSEs, got A-stars, got A's, got to A-levels. And I saw the light. God. Yeah. A-levels are the bane of my existence. I hated them. There were many a chemistry level where I was in tears. I am just not math orientated. I kind of got to A-levels and I was like... Hmm right uh did my first round of marks and i knew it was like a kind of a gut plummeting moment when i knew i will not get the grades to qualify for veterinary medicine at university so i thought okay, if I'm not going to get the grades, let me compromise and let me still do something that I'm working with animals, but make it easier on myself so I don't put as much pressure on myself and ultimately set myself up for a fail. Because anyone who knows me, and I'm sure my my friends who will listen to this, I'm a complete perfectionist. I'm a complete um, control freak. Everything is done the way I like it. (laughs) very kind of unmoving on things and it comes to kind of academia, I have to gain the highest qualification I can. Otherwise, to me, I've not done it right. So from someone who's gone from A's and A stars at GCSE to go to D's and U's at A level, it was soul destroying. Honestly, it it took me a good couple of months to kind of bring myself out of this and kind of realise I'm not going to be able to do what I've always wanted to do or I wouldn't be able to go straight into it so I kind of looked around on kind of UCAS and you know talked to different people and I've always gone and work experience and then veterinary physiotherapy came up and I read and there was currently three courses in the UK that offered it at that moment in time so I went to all their open days I read all their prospectuses and I thought I can see myself doing this so I got the grades Mm -hmm. and I got in and honestly I wouldn't want to do anything else now. I wouldn't want to train to be a vet now. This is what I want to do and you know I think everything definitely happens for a reason and I don't view myself as a failure for not getting into vet med because I achieved a first class honours at veterinary physiotherapy on my degree and I think the dean told me that my dissertation was the highest scoring in my year. So I Great. did pretty well. Gosh. And, I, and
0: this was on the massage of uh, tibio, gosh, the effects of massage on the equine tibia tarsal joint range of motion uh, yes. when applied to the hamstring group.
2: Yeah. So I was looking at, so a big thing in kind of physio is you, you one of your big tools is massage. And there's so much anecdotal evidence out there that says, yes, if you massage this place, it will improve the range of motion of this joint. However, there was no kind of empirical data saying this. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. So you're given like a list of titles and I was like, yeah, I want to do that one because that one's practical. And I then started researching and there was literally no evidence anywhere supporting anything. Everything was anecdotal. So I want to a reference list nice
0: and short, doesn't it? Oh, no, mine,
2: was, mine was very long i <laughs> it was <coughs> kind of like inference from different things but yeah so I looked at whether targeting a specific muscle group knowing kind of theoretically that it kind of moves the stifle if I massage that would it improve the range of motion and it did in walk not trot so Okay. Right. Which
0: was interesting, and, I and, and how often were you massaging the the, the horse horses, or horses
2: so I did one massage session and then so I recorded them before I recorded them after and then I recorded them a week later mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there were I think thinking back to it there were some uh long-term effects but Nothing was significant in trot, which I found very interesting because Mm -hmm. then that means in your kind of talking like your athletic animals, so your agility dogs or your dressage horses, don't massage before you're going to do that because it's not actually going to improve range of motion. You want to do your stretching or some sort of different exercise. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. So when, when do you advocate massage then?
2: Um. Massage is great for so many different reasons, but it has to be used correctly in the correct sort of situation. So, Mm -hmm. for example, it's great post-operative, but I'd never recommend an owner to do it post-operative because you can get too close to the incision site, it's already very inflamed, and you can end up causing more damage than actually you want because, obviously, you're going to be stimulating the tissues And you're going to increase the blood flow to the area. So blood flow to a newly operated wound Mm -hmm. isn't ideal.
0: (laughs) Not not ideal.
2: No, (laughs) but massage before kind of as a warm up technique, if that's your aim, um, I think is a great idea. It's more being specific on what you want to aim to achieve rather than when is massage really applicable right. because i could tell you massage is applicable applicable in mostly any scenario but it's the aim of the massage of whether i would do it or not
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so you can ignoring immediate post-operative uh massaging you you can do harm if you massage wrong you're saying or, yeah
2: or you... when you kind of give owners exercises and homework as i like to call it they take what you say very literally Mm. and they do literally as you say so if you just say massage that leg they will massage that leg and you know every kind of intuition almost goes out the window because they're putting their trust in you as a professional so they're like well she's told me to do that so i massage there anyway so you can cause you know extra blood flow to get to the post-operative wound which could cause slight tearing, but also you can cause lymphatic drainage to take away the swelling. So it's kind of like a seesaw, really, of kind of how far do you push it. And then that's, again, almost like a how long is a piece of string thing. It's very individualised and the specific patient will kind of tell you specifically, if that makes sense
0: it makes perfect sense and and there are there are right ways and wrong ways to do effective massage aren't there
2: oh yeah and i when learning it thought no it's just massage can't go wrong oh no you can Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I I'll tell you now, if you've ever, anyone's ever had a sports massage and they press that one point, oh, my God, is the most painful thing. You know, my chiropractor, she presses points in my shoulders. I feel it in my eyebrows. And, you know, if you continue to kind of irritate that, you know, very tight, taut band of, you know, muscle tissue or trigger point or stress point, you can cause a hell of a lot of pain and you can cause lameness from it because, I mean, you've irritated hyper irritable area so the only thing the body's going to do is contract further to protect itself
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was always told to breathe through it
2: the difference is we can tell a person when to stop an animal can't and specifically like when talking about dogs they show very subtle behavioral signs of pain and a lot of the times you don't pick up on them unless you're very kind of focusing on them. And you know, obviously, whenever you're treating an animal, you do focus on that animal. But when you're doing physio, you're talking to the owner, you're, you know, moderating what you're doing. So sometimes you miss those really subtle cues and you can get bitten quite quickly because, especially if they're in quite a lot of pain, they're not afraid to tell you to get off. Same with horses, you know, you miss barrel pick.
1: I used to have a dog like that, I and mean, he—he bless him—he was a strange series of signals. He'd sort of go very wide-eyed, yeah, and, and then his ears would go flat, and he'd yawn,
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: he'd lick his—he'd he'd start licking, and then he'd bite you.
2: Yeah,
1: he, so he like, was rather a strange
0: dog, wasn't he? Generally. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he was, actually. He got yeah. serious neurological problems and he couldn't walk properly. And He had many problems. He had many problems. Poor old bomb. But like
2: there was a crescendo and he was giving me those signals until he felt the only way to tell people was to bite. You know, they're so... I think animals are so intelligent with the way they communicate and I think it's sometimes simply we're not open to that way of communication,
1: well, he, which
2: is why we miss it.
1: Yeah, he, he always said he gave me warning. The problem was that whole sequence would take about a quarter of a second.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you had to look very quickly, did In retrospect, yeah. filming it and then watching it on slow motion, you could pinpoint exactly the moment. Yeah, that exact yeah. moment where yeah. he was going, no,
1: that's my bowl of food, Dad.
0: <laughs> yes. You can't take from it, you can't give it to it, it's mine. mine. No. Whatever, but no. I know, you, I know Emily, you, you're actually you're very keen on... Telling owners how to spot pain in, in dogs, aren't you? That's one of your your stress points, isn't it? The fact that owners often don't recognise when uh, when the pets in pain. We hear it all the time as vets. Owners come in and say, well, he's not in pain." And you say, "Well, how do you know that? Well, he, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't yelp or anything." Yeah. Um, but it's it, it's pretty much more subtle most of the time.
2: Yeah. Or a very common one is, "Oh, but they're so stoic. They're so calm," and. I'm kind of like, yeah, but, you know, you can have the calmest... Like, my brother, he is kind of so laid back, he's lying down. And he, on his birthday, a drunken fall, and he fell over, and he cut his knee right down to the bone. He wasn't (laughs) screaming in pain. Mm -hmm. He was sat there laughing. and He goes, oh, yeah, it does hurt. So, you know, you see it in people... You know, he was obviously in intense amount of pain because you could see his bone, but he wasn't showing it. And you know, I see it so many times. The amount of people I've seen that comes in, and because the dog's not hopping lame or screaming, oh no, 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 he's not in pain. And I'm like, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah.
0: So how do you how do you tell them? How do you inform them? What signs to look for?
2: So. Uh, Me and a couple of colleagues at my uh, job, we created these kind of information PDFs that we send out to our clients kind of periodically or when we think they need them. So kind of information of different diseases or kind of advice on cage rest. And one of them is signs of pain. Mm -hmm. And it's a picture kind of like infographic of different signs of pain. And what I say to a lot of my owners is, a lot of them are incredibly subtle, and they're behavioural signs. So it could be as simple as they don't want to greet you as they come in the as you come in the door. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liken that to as I have a mental cocker spaniel. She is always at the door, jumping at me to say hello. It would be very bizarre for me if she just went and sat in a corner. However, a more subtle one for her would be not jumping up and down. And, you know, it's more kind of subtle kind of cues. And I was like, the best way to do it is look at videos like on YouTube, because until they've seen that sign of pain, they're never going to be able to spot it. And one of my owners, she's fantastic. And she goes, she's not weight bearing as much and she's fantastic at it. And she's completely right. The dog isn't weight bearing on that leg as much as she was the week before. And it's subtle things like that. As soon as they've got it, they've got it. Mm-hmm. I find that it's usually you don't have to tell them twice. It's If they're very keen to go and find out, they'll find out and then they'll know. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting.
1: So, so you've gone pretty much from college straight into a job, but do you not also have your own company?
2: I do, yeah. <laughs> I like to always stay busy. <laughs>
0: right. So t- tell us about your company.
2: So my business is called Nexus Veterinary Physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. So I started this in my first year of university. So it was kind of more as a revision tool kind of thing. So I would post on kind of Instagram right. of
1: different
2: things that I found interesting or I wanted to research further. And I wanted some way to put it down and put it out there and then that's me. I've put my effort into that. And I've read that paper or I've analysed that. And, you know, over kind of four years now, I've got nearly 3,000 followers, which is something I never expected to have. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And there's other, you know, that fizz accounts that have way more than me. But mine was definitely more about kind of educating people like me or people who are on a similar course about things i found interesting Mm -hmm. so kind of now it's taken more of a shift to kind of educating owners and more kind of moving away from the kind of pure academia and kind of academic language to kind of owner-friendly posts and things that people can read and they may not have you know a degree like i have they may have something else but at least they can understand it as well Mm -hmm.
1: so so you're a veterinary physiotherapist insta influencer
2: well maybe potentially
0: (laughs) had to work through that for a while yes yes got it got it yeah (laughs) but you start i I remember my
1: first year at college admittedly we didn't have mobile phones we didn't have the internet we we didn't have any of the, the the things that we've got today
0: but you can make a very very good knife out of some flint
1: well, yeah, I could do, yeah, 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 and 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 did you ever did you ever do that one with the two tin cans and the length of string?
0: Yeah, that was on mobile phone, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So the
0: cordless <laughs> version didn't work, did it?
1: That was that. No, the cordless one was rubbish. But um, what I was alluding to there was that I didn't have, or I didn't feel, I had very much time in my first year. And yet, you're telling us that in your first year, not only did you start your first year of your degree. You set up a company, Um, you'd already just got a horse, Maddie, and (laughs) you you set out on Instagram. Really?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, love to stay busy. (laughs) Right.
0: And got a first class honours.
2: Yeah. My proudest achievement to date.
1: And quite rightly so. Rightly so. Absolutely. When did you graduate?
2: Did COVID impact
1: your college course at all?
2: It didn't, luckily. Um, We didn't have to wear masks in the ceremony, which I was quite pleased about. Mm -hmm. Um, I graduated in October, so I passed all my exams in August, and then I graduated in October.
1: So your final year was impacted then?
2: Yeah, my final two years, really. Um, Um, And... For someone who loves going to lectures, like I would be the annoying person in the back that would always put their hand up and answer the question. Um, yes. Know, I, <laughs> we we loved, know about them, don't we, June? Yeah. That was yeah. me. I'm <laughs> pretty sure my class New <laughs> arrives every single time I asked a question. But alas, I was not there for them. I was there to learn. So... Um, but, yeah, it really affected our like final two years. Um, yeah. I think uh, a lot of our exams in our second year were delayed, and we had to do them at the beginning of our final year,
1: right. which mm-hmm.
2: was quite stressful. Going into your final year, starting your dissertation, but say them saying you have to pass these exams; otherwise, we don't know what we're going to do with you yet. And we're like, oh, okay, oh that's a bit hard. So, that's
0: a bit of a worry, yes.
2: No pressure. Like, if you don't pass your second year exams, you don't go on to third year. So what would we do if we failed the second years but we were already in year three? It was very confusing. And, you know, to be fair, they ha- the, the uni had never gone through anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Organisation was up in the air, as everything was at the time. Right. You know, I don't think anything really... Could have improved the way they went about it because they tackled it as and when they had the information, along with about probably a hundred, probably a bit less, vet phys students from multiple years saying, What's going on? Mm -hmm. So they were doing quite a lot in considering, you know, it was very irritating at the time me thinking, I'm paying all this money for this course, I'm not being told anything, and I'm still required to pay the full tuition fee even though i didn't have what i considered my, my money's worth so you you weren't,
1: you weren't getting that face to face contact and that
2: there was very well politically worded answers <laughs> i see and yes. they yeah. kind of steered it away when they needed more time and they'd come back with a bit more information but it was never the information we wanted or it was never the information we needed Mm -hmm. so a lot of the answers were quite well worded and quite strategically worded but then again they have to I don't think honestly I did complain about it at the time because I was in the situation at the time so why would I not but looking (laughs) back on it I don't see how they could have done anything else Mm. you know They were in a really tough situation dealing with final year students, dealing with students from their final year that failed a station. And then dealing with new students and continuing students, had so much to deal with. So, you know,
0: I I know it's it's really difficult. The problem is that there are always there are some winners, but they are very few, aren't there? The, the, The majority of people. Suffer as a result of it. Mm. it you suffered. Exactly. You didn't. You didn't necessarily suffer in your degree. You got a first class honours. Well done for that. But uh, you, you paid relatively more for that than someone who'd had the belts and whistle, bells and whistle, not yeah. belts, <laughs> bells and whistles attached. Perhaps doing the uh, degree of the year before. Maybe maybe it is belts and whistles actually for, for physiotherapy. Um,
2: but you no. Know- there were so many students throughout the country on various different courses that experienced the same thing as me. So it wasn't like our course was the only course in the UK experiencing this. It was the whole kind of student population of oh. university degrees. Really? So that's kind of why I'm not so angry about it, is because I wasn't the only one. And there were so many people like me in the position where. kind of in your final stages of your degree you're paying an awful lot of money but you're not getting what you think you should be getting out of it Mm. yeah yeah
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. so would you do you think you got the, the university life though the university flavor
2: um with the university i went to it was a mixed education provide so it provided lower education courses as well so that means kind of you know your GCSEs and your kind of level threes and your BTECs. so campus life
0: mm-hmm.
2: had to be very restricted to kind of gear towards the under 18s so for all like people with the big unis that would put on the big uni events this university couldn't do that Because Mm. of safeguarding issues for the younger students. So no, I don't think I got what other people consider the university experience, but I never went to university for that. I went to get a degree, Mm. and that's ultimately why I went. I didn't go for the uni life. I didn't go to get drunk every weekend. I went to study Mm. and You know, I've always professed like I'm a massive nerd and I'm a massive geek, but that is why I went. I went to study a degree because I see no point going to university, spending nine grand tuition fees, a further eight grand on accommodation just to come out with a degree you're never going to use. To me, Hmm. that's a very pointless debt to have. (laughs) Hmm.
1: So so what what is your tipple of choice?
2: Oh, I love Prosecco.
0: Okay. Yeah, controversial, controversial. Controversial. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Not many people like it, but I love prosecco.
0: Well, do you know I I'm going to go out on a limb here. I I don't like prosecco, and I don't know whether it's something just snobbish in me, uh, or <laughs> whether I haven't had the right proseccos. I love I love champagne, and I love some of the English sparkling wines. I live you know, a two minute walk from one of the best uh, English sparkling wine producers in, in uh, well, one of the best in England. It would be the English sparkling wine producer, wouldn't it? So, you know, I, but I love sparkling wine generally. I think, I think um, the
1: other two are trying to catch up. They're not doing too badly, and I'm yeah, giving yeah, them a
0: run yeah. for the money. Yeah. So, Emily, we'll, we'll we'll leave Prosecco for a moment, because I notice we're, we're roughly sort of halfway through the, the show, and we've learned an awful lot about your, your journey through the end of uh, Maddie's life and the hard decisions that, that you made, and the fact that it spurred you on to do your physiotherapy course. We learned a lot about that course as well. Have you come across in your travels something called 60-second CPD?
2: I was dreading this moment. <laughs> 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 and the pressure of the verbal exams. But yes, I have. I have prepared for this.
0: Okay, so wonderful. What What do you have for us?
2: Um, i would like to talk about the importance of warm ups and cool downs hopefully in 60 seconds
1: <laughs> okay all right well, then, all in all
2: right again. well let, let me
1: let me key you in on this then so congratulations thank you for joining us on this one 60 second cpd um tonight we've got emily woodbridge physiotherapist veteran physiotherapist who's going to do 60 seconds on the importance of warm ups and warm downs starting no
2: so the main aims of warm-ups and cool downs is to prevent injury um, to help geriatric exercise and to improve the efficiency so with warm-ups you're aiming to improve the temperature the metabolism and the fiber conduction velocity so meaning the speed in which the muscles send um, the, it to the brain um, and the things you want to include is cardio so trotting uh, light forelimb and hindlimb movements, mild pilometrics, so jumping, and active stretching, not passive stretching as this has actually been proven to decrease muscle function. With cooldowns it's really important because you reduce any lactic acid buildup, you reduce the onset of delayed muscle soreness, so DOMS, and really important things to do is walking and any type of stretching, so passive or active. So that's protraction, retraction, and the spinal stretches.
0: Wow, and there you go. There you go. One Six. minute exactly, sixty seconds. Fantastic. Sixty seconds CPD. Yeah. Well done. Excellent. Excellent. I, I was thinking as you said that. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll go into this in a bit more detail. My first thought was I mentioned earlier that I went on a fifteen-mile walk in the in the Breckens over the yeah. weekend. Did you warm up? Uh, no no i didn't warm up uh got out of the car got my stick went up the wow. mountain. there you go and did i warm down or cool down afterwards uh no i didn't i had the rest of my flask of coffee and sat in the car and uh, went back home and there you go and that was what four days ago and you're still four days it. the effects yeah it's a little bit stiff in the old knees you know
1: there we go yeah
0: you know, the Vikings, the Vikings knew the uh, the importance of a good uh, warm up and cool down before and after mm-hmm. battle. They, they do calisthenics and uh, stretches and things. Apparently,
2: really? I not know that. Huh?
0: No, I mean that. Up. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I
2: was only thinking you
0: were serious. Then I was like, oh wow. Ah, oh, yeah. No, you fell for that old trick. Yeah, I'm. I'm really yeah. serious for too long, and I've been serious for a good. I'd say three or four minutes. So that's about the limit. <laughs> there we go. So, so yeah, warming yeah, warm up and cool and down day on
1: Viking warm up and warm down. Then isn't <laughs> it?
0: The that's why they never got four. Yeah. <laughs> Th- thoi. Thoi. <laughs> so Mike, presumably, you would have done warm ups and cool downs when you were because Mike was actually at the uh, uh, the, the the height of uh, of notoriety as a speed skier and as a speed cyclist yeah. yes in his day really
1: we would always yeah. do warm-ups and warm downs yeah
0: it's
2: mm. so important
1: well it is i have to say after after some of the bike races if you know if it was a road race and you've been out on the road three hours plus etc the idea of sitting on your bike for another 20 minutes was a bit onerous at times and yeah. the, the whole idea of uh, warming up for half an hour before you start was uh, was a little bit onerous but yeah we we used to do that we used to do warm ups warm downs um not so much the stretching um stretching i think has been shown certainly in sprint cycling to be detrimental to fast twitch uh,
0: yeah. response i i do i do always warm up when i'm skiing yeah, um, and I never do for anything else, and I think it's just because when I learnt to ski, you'd always learn if you went to ski school, you'd always start with a with a warm up, and so it just mm-hmm. it was drummed into me, and I'd never really thought about it, but I always do it. The other thing is, it's cold; it is physically cold. And you get off the chairlift, me. first thing you want to do is massage those, those legs and warm yourself up a bit, and just jump up and down on the spot and get a bit get it loose so um but i'd never i I used to climb uh to 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 a fairly high level uh i didn't really warm up as such i would climb some easier climbs first but i wouldn't do a whole heap of stretching and things but now you're saying stretching maybe isn't the best thing anyway
2: not passive for a warm-up um especially like with your sprinting or your your fast Mm exercise like agility or show jumping or racing, you know you don't want to be kind of pushing the leg into protraction or retraction. you want to be doing more active. so like for example with dogs like a play bow or them turning, that's really good active stretching because they're doing mm. it themselves rather than you're forcing, well you know encouraging a stretch. Mm-hmm. um because i know i i don't know any research papers off the top, top of my head but i know that research has been done and it has been kind of found to be detrimental to kind of like tensile strength or kind of force contraction um capacity mm-hmm. of muscles if you passive stretch them prior to a, and it has been i think it has been proven to reduce proprioception as well don't quote me, but that's just what I've been told.
0: I used to fall so over a lot. Mm. That'll be a bad thing before you climb, wouldn't it? Yeah, see the Yeah. Mm. So, and riding okay. a bicycle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do cool down after after
1: climbing. Um, that's normally with a pie and a pint, isn't it, in the pub?
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you yeah, know, take take the sweater off. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So always cool down it's usually pretty cold anyway to be honest
2: yeah that temperature is a good way to cool down but cool down's more kind of like about your nervous system about getting that to cool down which a lot of people don't really consider more people consider right i'm really warm got to cool down temperature wise but it's more kind of getting your parasympathetic nervous system to kick back in and kind of calm everything down
0: was well, having a spiff or a pint or something
2: yeah, kind of. Yeah, okay, okay.
0: At <laughs> okay. last, at last, some sensible advice on this show. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. thanks. We've been waiting for ages. We're, Done this for year two we years. We cannot.
1: Yeah, but we cannot advocate the smoking of marijuana on the show.
0: That's no, absolutely not. You can make it into brownies instead if you don't like smoking. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't take, don't take drugs.
1: Kids. No. Yeah, yeah don't, no, try, don't take, don't take drugs, kids. Because look what it did to him and me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You lose your yeah. hair. Yeah, I've yeah. never, I've never taken drugs. They've always been given to me. No, I, um, yeah. I, 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 the fact is, I've been boring. I haven't really. So. <laughs> yeah,
2: that sounds cool. Oh,
0: yeah. Not, yeah, no, I haven't really. <laughs> yeah. uh, but alcohol, of course, uh, is well known for cooling people down after uh, vigorous exercise, and so I'd strongly suggest uh, a nice, uh, nice pint of real ale. Uh, and then you sort of passively stretch against the bar. And then talk, well, lie, basically, about what you climbed that day.
1: And how quick you were and how you yeah. got over that overhang.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. heard it all before.
2: Perfect cool down.
1: Yeah. What do you think of ice baths then, Emily? Oh,
2: for animals, if it's an ice bath just after exercise no definitely not Why? Um, because you can't really reason with them so i'm sure they have the benefits like it does with our athletes but you can't reason with a dog you have to stay in this freezing cold water and you're likely more going to cause an injury because you're going to be trying to put them in and they want to get out and they're like no no Um, With horses, you can have like cold water spas, which are really good. Um, Mm -hmm. But the horse has been kind of habituated to that kind of therapy over, you know, a couple of weeks. So they're not going to freak out. But no, I I don't recommend them, really. (laughs) I don't think they're conducive in any sort of therapeutic way for an animal, simply because you can't explain to them why you're doing it.
1: Mm. I couldn't explain to myself why I was doing it.
2: Oh, no, but, sure.
1: but do you think it helped? It did actually. <laughs> mm. Yeah, very much so. It was, um, v- well, very peculiar to actually lower yourself into an ice bath. Mm. And you're going, oh my God,
2: oh my God, yeah. oh my God.
1: Yes. Oh my God, it's going to do me good. It's, oh, oh yes. bloody hell. Oh, God, God. and numerous other um, adjectives that would be used yeah. to yeah. describe the sensation. But after about, I don't know, Five five minutes or so, you sort of start to feel warm inside. And your um, skin feels
0: super heated, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's mm. it's an interesting experience. I uh, never really got into it as far as um, as advocates of uh, Wim Hof get into ice baths. Mm. Yeah, um, But uh, no, it was, it was certainly interesting. Mm. So listen, um, Julian, Emily's delivered some fantastic CPD tonight. Have you got a CPD certificate?
0: You know, by sheer chance I have. Oh. Yeah. Although, oh can, you, can you imagine the coincidence? So wow. here we go. I've got I've got a certificate of poorly leggedness. All right. And it says <laughs> it says this certifies that we like to move it, move it. We like to move it, move it. We like to move it. All right. Okay. What? physically fit. You mean like that? Yes, it just like that. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Okay, Great song. Do you, do you, I love that song. I tell you why I love that song. you, you probably ahead me on this. It's um, it's in a film called Madagascar. Oh, that's yeah.
2: That's
0: and and it's King,
2: it's King Julian. Yeah, King, King Julian. Yeah.
0: he's, like, he's, he's, he's going get, he's going get Oh
2: that. yeah, we like to move it, move
0: it. <laughs> so, so what have we got what have we got we've also and you got are set physical... yourself
1: up for something there come on so what we
0: got we like to move it move it physically now, physically fit physically fit. and this is a cat that had a tail pull injury and um uh and a there are other ways sacred. to swing a cat aren't there there are other ways yeah. yeah but the room was big enough ultimately good it was a way during the first lockdown of uh, telling whether you're far enough away from people yeah. <laughs> So this is a, had a, a tail pull injury and, uh, and a bilateral sacroiliac luxation. And I operated uh, and um, pinned or screwed both uh, both ileal wings back onto the sacrum and amputated the tail. Um, but I still maintain the thing that got it better was, well, two things. One was my, my wife doing acupuncture uh, because we were worried that there was uh, bladder dyskinesia. Uh, and the other thing was uh, intense physiotherapy. And this cat, after four weeks, was walking so well that we allowed it out again. Wow. And after 12 weeks, it, you really couldn't tell anything had happened to it. Fantastic. Amazing. Okay,
1: what else have um, we got?
0: Here's, here's a Labrador. And um, Emily's looking at that, and I think probably nodding sagely. Mm. You can tell. It's got quite a swollen uh, elbow, and the elbow is being held out at uh, an abducted angle. And this this poor little dog has quite severe uh, elbow arthritis. Uh, and smooth. what we did with this dog, in fact, was to do an op that at the time was was all the all the rage. This is about twelve years ago. And it was a sliding humeral osteotomy, where you make a cut in the humerus and uh, move the humerus over uh, to, to the medial side a little bit, so you push the weight back onto the lateral compartment um and it's normally the medial compartment that's affected with the elbow uh, and this dog did very well again with with physiotherapy because it had to learn to, to walk at, at a different angle right. uh, the next picture is is me recovering from my neck fusion after my uh, arthmetic <laughs> disc and physiotherapy was incredibly important for me because at the time I couldn't interdigitate my fingers and touch uh, respective portions of my finger. Uh, quite an important Absolutely. skill for a surgeon. Absolutely. And so yeah. I had to have yeah. intense yeah. physiotherapy to, to learn how to move my thumb again. And as you can see I can, I can do that now uh, pretty well. And What's this? Oh, you've got a trainee racehorse there. Here's a, here's a trainee racehorse, a little little, uh, little foal there. That's, um, that's what technically we call baby horses. See, So yeah. I still remember the stuff. It's been twenty odd years think. since I treated doors. Yeah, yeah, Still remember okay. a foal here. here. Um, this this was not one I treated because I don't get any of them <laughs> anymore. And that you've, point, got a, you. you've got a picture and of. You well,
2: know. here's
1: a well,
0: camel. Here's a camel. There's another grumpy photo at. of me. It looks a bit like <laughs> a grumpy photo of Mike, doesn't it? But no, it's <laughs> a camel.
1: Okay, right. <laughs> right
0: face. And, uh, and this was a camel I treated when I was working at uh, at Chessington Zoo, and. Um, and it hated me. And it used to spit the contents of its uh, of its stomach at me uh, with unerring accuracy. And it did oh, it four, four months later, after I stopped working at the zoo, I came back to, to look around and visit and I brought some friends. And uh, I went up to, to see the camel. And I timed it just right and stepped a foot to the right. And it missed me and got my friend. It's fantastic.
2: Oh. Um,
0: um, it's one of the moments we shared on video. No longer a friend, actually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and finally, here's me wearing a rabbit outfit. Very good. <laughs> so, so there we go. Uh, I haven't got any pictures of physio being done on rabbits, but uh, I'd like to know your your view. Is rabbits are prey species? They get very nervous, and so mm-hmm. I imagine they're not tremendous uh, victims. Uh, sorry, a uh, patients for. Uh, physiotherapy.
2: I must say, I've never treated a rabbit, however, I do know, I have heard down like the grapevine, that someone does treat rabbits, and that is their whole business, physiotherapy on rabbits. Well there I we go. Not, I would not be able to tell you their name, it's just <laughs> that I know that someone out there exists.
1: Wow, what an evening. Emily, thank you very much indeed
2: no problem my absolute pleasure thank you for having me
1: on no you've been lovely you're very welcome and I think I, I mean all, all it behoves me to say at this point is if you've enjoyed listening to Emily then stay tuned tell your friends share like link click all those things that you do on social media and uh, get more people to come in and listen yeah. and, um, <laughs> if there's any topics that you'd like us to go further into tell us and we'll do our best to do so so Emily at this point all it remains for us to do is to raise our used to be a glass
0: <laughs> we're old now so we just drink coffee just
1: drink coffee
0: <laughs> right, raise a glass oh look yeah, at okay. that raise a glass to you uh, em- Emily Emily's holding up a litre of red wine good on you Emily yeah well good done. on
1: you Emily that's brilliant stuff may your dog go with you may your dog go with you may your
2: dog go with you
1: cheers cheers
2: <laughs> and cut
1: there we go. How was that?
2: That was really fun. I really enjoyed that.
1: Good. We've enjoyed it too. We have immensely.
2: Yeah, fantastic.
1: Brilliant, Emily. Right. Thanks so much, Julie. Lovely to, no, meet, you. Lovely.
0: Lovely yes, to meet you. Yes, it was
2: so lovely to meet you both.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Take care. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Bye. 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 Bye.